Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Erase the State. Maddie K here with uh, a special announcement. We're back, guys. Mikey, two names. Mikey, how are you, brother? You're a dad now. I am a dad. It's been kind of a part of my hiatus. I was the last like five shows. I was traveling for work for two weeks, and then wife got pretty pregnant. Went to the hospital. Next week, a baby, and then last week was my birthday. So pretty baby pretty birthday, like work, <laughs> travel. It's been, yeah. <laughs> I have been on an absolute hiatus. I'm exhausted, beyond exhaustion, but it's a blessing. I'm very excited. We have a half Texan slash half Brazilian baby added to the family, so he's absolutely beautiful. Um, he's awesome. He sleeps 20 hours a day, so we got really lucky. Nice. Well, congratulations, man. I'm glad to have you back. Glad to have Luke in the world. Luke, two names, back in the world. Um, all right, oh, yeah. so... <laughs> Mikey, this is a good episode for you to come back because we have another special guest with us. Returning oh, yeah. to the show is the one and only Monica Perez. Monica, how are you? I'm great, and it sounds like you guys are great. We're doing good. I'm, We're doing good. I'm wondering how those teeny little masks fit on a newborn's face. <laughs> you heard that little teeny little mask? I got a call from the hospital yesterday because we have our two-week checkup and they left a message saying you must wear a mask as well as your baby oh, and then so right stupid. after that i got another missed call from them and the missed call said scratch that your baby doesn't need a mask just you oh and by the way your wife's not allowed to go or you're not allowed to go so just one parent <laughs> with a mask and one baby without a mask but no second parent so oh my god it's fucking i think crazy. i would just you might just want to look at the baby be like it looks good to me i don't know if, yeah. they, if the place is riddled with trillions of invisible monsters trying to kill that baby i might not go in there yeah i'll just put well, him out in the sun in the backyard he'll be all right there you go sunlight. <laughs> just don't drink bleach <laughs> well mikey I, I hope things go well but um so monica we had you on because recently you were on uh, another friend of the show, Pete Quinones podcast, and uh, or maybe he was on yours. Either way, I don't, I don't remember. We we've done a few of those. Is, He's yeah, a, the swap a cast. fellow Atlantan, so yes, yes, we have a, a good relationship. So, this was almost, I think, like a throwaway line, but there, you know, what came up was the Boston Marathon bombing, and this wasn't my first foray into conspiracy, but it was certainly one of the big things that I started questioning. Uh, back then when it happened. So uh, I was I was proud to hear that you have a lot of research on this. So I, I am highly interested to reinvestigate what happened. Um, but, but first, if you will, if you can, can you take us back through the official timeline of the bombing? Because Mikey was young See. back then. Mikey was <clears throat> but a wee yeah. lad and uh, doesn't quite remember all the things that happened. <laughs> You know, that, that question surprises me because that's going to be pure memory. I, I did a lot of the, the Boston Marathon bombing was the thing that pulled the scales from my eyes. Mm -hmm. I was on WSB, which is a, like a regular terrestrial radio station. I had a weekend show and I think I was filling in for someone during the week, which is like an audience 10 times the normal size. And right. I, I had terrible stage fright the whole entire time, entire time I had that show. 
And I would get nervous because people would call in. So I would have to have all the answers. I would feel like I had to know everything that it didn't even occur to me that I could say, oh, I don't know. Like that, I was just not confident enough to do that. So I would make sure I understood every last detail about a story. <laughs> so I was trying to figure this thing out. And I was like, but wait, yesterday that guy was Caucasian and today's Chinese. Like, how is that possible? <laughs> and then I would look back and I would literally look through the Boston Globe for the retraction section. Because right. <laughs> I was like, but they have to retract that. That's a major detail and blah, right. blah, 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 blah. So it was really crazy. And as it went on, this is what what was over the top for me. This was the moment that I was like, oh, oh, I know what happened. Wait a second. What everybody was saying about 9-11. And then I thought, you know, because I just I kept thinking with 9-11, I don't believe it because I don't believe they would. Not that they could, but that they would. I don't believe they would. And then I saw it was probably I have to go back and look, but I, it might have been Mueller who was head of the FBI from basically 9-11 to the Boston Marathon bombing. And he had connections in Boston because he was the AG of in Massachusetts briefly with a storied past there, checkered past. And he said, oh, look for these two men, you know, and they showed the pictures of mm -hmm. them. We're looking for them. It's like thing one and thing two. And I thought <laughs> I had already discovered that they were on Maybe I, I'd already discovered the timeline. It was all crunched together, but they were they were on the terrorist watch list because Russia outed them. They were CIA guys, I think. Right. And Russia outed them like, get your fucking radicalizers out of Dagestan. We are on to you and get them out of there. So they their so cover was blown. They were already anyway, on Anyway, just the list. Like, I'll finish that sentence and I'll tell you. So their cover was blown. They were on the watch list for terrorists and they lived one mile from the Boston Marathon bombing. And this guy's on national television going, oh, does anybody know who these guys are? I, you know, I'm like, I know who they are. <laughs> so then I realized that they were completely full of it. And, and then you just saw all the details that didn't make sense. Wow. So, okay, sorry. You had something to say. And I, and I will give you what I think if I recall the timeline, and then I can tell you what's wrong with it. Yeah, so I, I just didn't realize, I guess, that they were already on some sort of watch list back then. Um, yes, and I think, this, I think the reason that, that they were the patsies in this is that they were made by Russia. So their yeah. uncle, Ruslan Sarny, whose mm -hmm. name used to be Ruslan Sarnayev, mm -hmm. He, do you remember him saying, those boys need to turn themselves in? Remember that? Okay. He used, he ran a USAID, which is a CIA front organization, I think pretty well established, out of the basement of Graham Fuller, who was the CIA chief in Afghanistan, who oh. said his daughter was Ruslan Sarney's wife. Her right. name is Samantha Fuller Sarnayev. And, and that guy, Fuller, said, I mean, I'm sure I have the quote, he said, we are, I should, let me just read the quote to you. Um, uh, is it going to take me a second? Anyway, so here it is. He says, the policy of guiding, this is Fuller, a quote from a book, Dollars for Terror. The policy of guiding the evolution of Islam and of helping them against our adversaries worked marvelously well in Afghanistan against the Red Army. The same doctrines can still be used to destabilize what remains of Russian power and especially to counter the Chinese influence in Central Asia. 
So he, I think he goes into specifically Dagestan, Chechnya, the Uyghurs. If not, other research I did kind of brings all that stuff together. So Tamerlan had been at the Jamestown Foundation, I think it was called, which is a CIA educational outpost over there. And then he was kind of caught trying to radicalize imams doing the same thing some other famous terrorist was. uh, I should have, like... I have like 15 blog posts that I wrote and I should have just committed it all to memory. I forgot how important it is to have this stuff fresh in your mind. But he was kind of there getting caught saying, I think it's what USAID did or what Uncle Ruslan did. I can't remember for sure. But he was telling these radical imams that he had unlimited funding basically from the US if those guys wanted to just kind of <laughs> go go gangbusters. Right. And that was what Russia was annoyed with, from what I understand. And so we spun the story as these were known terrorists. But the fact is, they were useless to us at that point. And I think Jahar was just the, the younger one. I mean, he was, I think, a dental student. And if you looked at his Twitter feed, it was like literally alternated between how much he loves pizza and mm-hmm. how much he loves games of Game of Thrones. Like, that right. was it. It was yeah. really fun. Well, and he was, so, what, like, night. 20, yeah, he was something young. like that. So yeah. yeah, I mean, he he didn't give a shit about anything at that point, really. <laughs> no, he was in college, and I mean, I think his brother said, "Come with me to this. It'll be interesting to because it runs in the family to be a CIA guy." Right, right. Okay, and I so, think they just well, they killed him, so and they I actually found... did kill them. That I think is pretty clear. Okay, so I have from CNN an official timeline. That I can run through okay. quickly, just so we can get that out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so this is before the bombings. This is uh, before April 15, 2013. Uh, Jahar, or, or Jokar, however you say Jahar, his name. Jahar, Jahar. Okay. Jahar. Um, Dellen's digital copy of a book onto a Sony laptop. The foreword was written by Anwar Al Alaki. Uh, Alaki, he's another identifies. inside job. What's that? That guy was an FBI, FBI operative Absolutely. or CIA operative. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and they killed him. Nearly proven, right? Like this is like out in, in the public. Oh, he was like job. having prostitutes in D.C., that guy. And they killed him <laughs> and his 17-year-old son or nephew or whatever. Like isn't right. that Obama droned him to death? Right. He was a U.S. citizen. Sure. So so allegedly he's down, downloading these uh, you know terroristic books, right? Um, February 5, or no, February 6, Tamerlan buys 48 mortars, uh, this is like firework mortars, containing approximately eight pounds of low explosive powder at a firework store in Seabrook, New Hampshire. Okay, March 20, the brothers rent two 9mm handguns and buy 200 rounds of ammo at a firing range in Manchester, New Hampshire and practice for about an hour. Um, April 14, Tamerlan receives by mail electronic components to be used in making the IEDs. Uh, ordered over the internet, uh, Jahar Sarnayev opens a prepaid cell phone account under the name Jahar, spelled with with the English spelling J A H A R Sarni, which interesting. Oh, Uncle, funny. Un- Uncle Sarni, yeah. <laughs> See that I might believe the other stuff. I don't. I, I think I would have known. You know, I used to try to track down if there was sure. evidence of that kind of stuff. Sure. The burner maybe, but the other stuff, I yeah. don't. I don't. Think well, especially the books out. too, right? Like any of the internet stuff, like that can be manipulated well first of all if they were cia agents then learning from a cia agent would be reasonable and if you looked at i have it in one of these many tabs i have open of tamerlin's amazon wish list yes it's like 
it's philosophy. It's um, Dale Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people. I mean, the guy was a, he was a, you know, some kind of operative. I mean, right. I, I would just well, say that didn't look like the reading list of a radical Islamist. And, and also how to make fake IDs and passports and social security cards and stuff like that, which, which is what they do. It doesn't necessarily scream, you know, I'm an op operative, you know, but it does scream like I'm, I'm into something, but it's, it's, it's almost too sloppy. Like if they're trying to do that after the fact, like this guy was looking up, you know, these, uh, sort of gray market type things. Like it's just, it's, it's too easy. There was after something the years later or some time later in the wall street journal after it had all kind of blown over when I think it came out that he was saying that thing that he was radicalizing the imam. I don't, I don't remember the detail, but they said they, they like researched in his apartment and they found the protocols of the elders of Zion, which is a big conspiracy, whatever. And I was thinking, no, they didn't. <laughs> you know, that's just stupid. First of all, nobody has a copy of it. It's just fucking yeah. digital. Well, I mean, but, you know. if he had a 1488 tattoo or the double double lightning bolts, yeah. I would think maybe he had that book. But if he's like a Muslim extremist, yeah. he probably he probably didn't have that book. <laughs> yeah. And that book to me is a way of, you know, it's so exaggerated. Right. I don't, I, I don't take it seriously, but I just think that it was just such a ridiculous thing to like, we now know because of yeah. this smoking gun. You know? Right. All right. Sorry, so, did I go down to the far down the rabbit hole? I assume that people think that that is just a setup. No, no, you're good. You're good. So, uh, <laughs> so now we're, we're to the bombing. So we're April 15th, 2003, uh, 2.39 PM, two young men carrying backpacks turn off Gloucester street onto Boylston street. Uh, near the final stretch of the Boston Marathon. One is wearing a black cap, a white cap turned backward. Uh, the young man in the black cap is later identified as Tamerlan Sarnayev, 26, and the other as his brother, Jahar, 19, both of Cambridge. All right, so 240, Tamerlan walks to the front of Marathon Sports and places a backpack containing a pressure cooker bomb along uh, among the crowd gathered near the finish line. Um, Boston Marathon's in its fourth hour. Jahar walks to the front of the Forum restaurant about a block and a half away and leaves a second backpack and pressure cooker bomb among the crowd. Yes. Can I interrupt? Absolutely. So the, you see a video at some point of the two of them with their backpacks, and there's absolutely no way the bombs that they are described, pressure cooker, a pressure cooker. I know what that is. I'm a mom. You know, mm -hmm. like it's a pot, a big pot. And it yep. was definitely not in those backpacks that they are shown wearing. And there's no evidence of them leaving said backpacks. And I've looked at all the pictures a thousand times. And I mean, they can tell us that they did, but there's no evidence of it. There were other backpacks though at the scene on some Well, people. the Kraft International guys. <laughs> those big, those it's, backpacks were pretty fucking big. <laughs> they were big. And those guys, you know, I think they shouldn't have worn the logo with the skull on it, but right. you know, I didn't think they thought. And Chris Kyle, remember what happened to him? That's right. Right around that time. I have That's a theory right. about that, but it's pure theory, pure speculation. Don't know. I don't know. Mikey, put a pin in that because we're coming back. <laughs> okay. There you I'm go. just there. enamored right now. <laughs> like, you, you like the rabbit hole. Mikey likes it. He, oh, yes, Mikey does it, like man. it. <laughs> you should see Why? what his eyes do when I'm drunk at his house and I start going down the rabbit hole for him. <laughs> 
it's fun. Somebody actually gave me a meme, like made a meme of my face that says, that's cute, honey. And they said it's for when somebody says, do you know, do you know there are little explosions coming out of the Twin Towers, like oh. before they collapse? Yeah, like, yeah that's cute. That's, that's cute. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> All right. So let me, I'm going to find something good here. Um, all right, so 248. Oh, sorry, uh, keep Jahar. going. It's good, it's good. If you don't mind yeah. my interrupting when something's obvious and just yeah, yeah, worth this, dismissing. I like this. That, that's that's very good. Okay, so 2.48 p.m., uh, Jahar calls Tamerlan on the prepaid cell phone and speaks with him briefly. Uh, 2.49, seconds after hanging up, Tamerlan Sarnayev detonates the bomb in front of Marathon Sports, uh, killing Crystal Marie Campbell and burning and maiming many others. All right, uh, same time, about 12 seconds later, Jahar sets off the second bomb in front of the Forum Restaurant killing Ling Zi Lu and Martin Richard and burning and maiming many others. All right, uh, 3.30, cab driver, who hard first name, Matanov, uh, a friend of both brothers, calls Tamerlan and invites him to dinner, his treat at a restaurant. I, I like that they call out his treat. That's very important. <laughs> yeah, what is that? That's some spice. <laughs> uh, 8.04, uh, Jahar tweets under his handle at J underscore uh, T-S-A-R. Ain't no love in the heart of the city. Stay safe, people. All right. Uh, April 16. So this is the next day. Yes. Next day. April 16. Jeff Bowman, who lost both legs. Uh, this is the guy that we saw in the wheelchair, right? Who is like ashen white uh, with zero blood yeah. coming from the, the legs that had been ripped off. Sorry, and I'm getting. Later showed up like at a Bruins game, maybe. That's right. Yeah. I'm, I'm already getting very cheeky with this stuff because. Cowboy hat. I never looked into the idea that any of this stuff was fake. Oh, so I, that that's that's I, all was, I looked into as soon as it happened. Yeah, <laughs> as soon as it happened, I was nowhere near the hoax thing. You remember, this is what pulled the the scales from my eyes. Right, right. This right. is the thing that made me realize that that this theoretical concept of the government as having an inherent conflict of interest with us mm -hmm. was still theoretical to me. I thought of it in the future. Right. And then I saw, well, you, you know, I was just, I'm a, I, I, I was an anarcho-capitalist, right? I was like, okay, these guys have this, we pay them to keep us safe and we're safe. So we're going to stop paying them unless they scare us. And I, sure. didn't, I just thought that was like a hundred years from now. And then it, and then I saw it unfold before my eyes, and I, and I was just focused on that. Like yeah. I didn't even think that it's, it was fake. It's better that it's fake if it's fake. It's oh, better. That's that's cute. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. Sorry, nine eleven wasn't fake though. There's nothing fake about that. I mean, I mean, there was tons mm. of fake shit about it, but there were feet <laughs> and every, you know. Yeah, it happened. Really the buildings killed. fell. Like, you know, <laughs> people were killed. A lot yeah. of people. Were yes, killed. yes. Uh, All right, so so Jeff Bogan, who lost both legs, gives the FBI a description of the man who dropped a backpack near him. Uh, later that night, uh, Jahar returns to campus at UMass Dartmouth, swiping his ID. Uh, he and a friend go to the gym five minutes later. So April 17, this is the day after that. This is two days past the bombing. Uh, early in the morning, 1.43 a.m., Jahar tweets, I'm a stress-free kind of guy. Um, is there anything else in here? So he had cut his hair short. One of his friends remarks about why he cut his hair short. Uh, what else here? That's about it. Um, April 18, Jahar seems to be living the life of a normal college sophomore. He keeps his laptop in a backpack containing fireworks that have been emptied of powder in his dorm room. He drives, hard name, uh, lots of Chechens here that I can't say yeah. the name of. <laughs> Mike, maybe you can. You're you're a Czech, so that's closer than me. 
Ah. <laughs> Not that far east. Come on. Man. Uh, no, so he drives, I don't know. He drives his friend home to New Bedford after class that afternoon. Uh, then later at 5 p.m., the FBI publishes surveillance photos of the bombing suspects on its website. They're immediately picked up by media around the world, and the names of the suspects are not yet public. Uh, so that same day, 5 to 6 p.m., a third classmate, Robel Filippos, who has known Sarnayev since high school, calls hard name friend uh, Kadirbaev, something like that, as he drives home and tells him to watch the news because one of the bomb suspects looks familiar. So 8.45 p.m., Jahar responds to a text from Kadir Baev, who notes that the suspect looks like him. LOL, he sends a return text to Kadir Baev. You better not text me. If you want, you can go to my room and take what's there. So this is when they go and they grab the backpack. Right, because those kids got in trouble later. That's right. So they grabbed the backpack. Nothing ever really came of that, I don't think. Yeah, I think they they kept um, the laptop and they dumped the rest of the stuff and the backpack into the dumpster. Um, just trying to see if there's anything else good here. So 10 p.m. at the family's apartment in Cambridge, the Sarnia brothers grab five IEDs, a machete, a Ruger P95 9mm semi-automatic handgun, uh, just the one, just one, and ammunition for the Ruger. <laughs> that's important later. Yes, that's why I noted. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, they drive Jahar's Honda Civic to the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, um, in Cambridge. Uh, 1020, so the same night, 1025, Sean Collier, an MIT police officer, is ambushed from behind and shot in the head at close range with with the Ruger, CNN says. Okay. He uh, shot sus- six times. That's right. He was executed. The suspects attempt to take his service weapon. Tamerlan is allegedly the shooter. Tamerlan is the older one for all the listeners at home. Right. Um, 11 p.m., one of the brothers, police believe it was Tamerlan, points a gun at a man identified only as DM, threatens his life, and carjacks his least Mercedes ML350 SUV. Uh, did you hear about the Boston explosion, he said, according to an affidavit. I did that. He pulled the magazine from his weapon and showed it was loaded. I'm serious, he said. The brothers forced DM to drive them to Watertown, where they retrieve a portable GPS device and other items from the Civic. Notable to me that the Civic is already in Watertown. How the fuck did it get to Watertown? I tried to figure that one out too. It was in there for hours all night long. There was a bolo out for it, and then right. when they found it, well, and if they, was, so I'm sure we'll get here, right? But if they, so they they drove the Civic ostensibly. Yeah, the to, Civic is just the cra- a crazy hole in the story, right? So and, they, the, they, and the carjacking guy. There's a detail so they, they about had, that that they can't get around. They had the Civic when they attacked the MIT police officer, right? Right in Cambridge, right? Then they carjack a guy. Right. And then are they both in the Mercedes or is one in the Mercedes and one in the Civic? Right. And if now I think the Mercedes is a cop car. Right. But even then, if they, if, if they're split up and. And Jahar, the story was that they were being chased and throwing bombs out the window. So that if they were in two separate cars getting chased. Oh, but and also. I don't think we're there yet. Bombs though. out the window. I don't, I don't think we're, we're to that point yet. But then if, sorry, sorry. if. I'm not trying to scoop you. But if they've, if they've carjacked DM, our Asian, possibly white man. Um, yeah. He later comes out as Danny. Right. Um, sorry, I'm scooping. I'm scooping you. <laughs> I just don't understand how they, then they had to go to Watertown to retrieve the Civic or stuff that was in the Civic. Why didn't they already yeah. have the stuff? I just, there's, 
a lot of holes here. What so, were they anyway. doing? They were supposedly going to New York to do it again. Like that. Right. That's how they stitched right. that up later. I do remember that part. So I may have missed something. What was the motive for going to MIT? To just steal that guy's gun. Just to steal so the officer's five bullets gun and execute the cop to get his handgun out of his holster. And they Which failed more to bullets? do <laughs> Yeah, Mike, Mike, Mikey, this, will, they, this is good they information. They can't get it out. So on the side, while I'm reading, can you can you quickly research how many rounds were in the magazine of a Ruger P95 nine millimeter? Yeah. So, no at any rate, uh, so they they go to Watertown where they retrieve a portable GPS device and other items from the Civic, which mysteriously appears in Watertown. Uh, they then order DM to drive to a gas station to fill the Mercedes gas tank. While searching for a gas station, they pull up to a Bank of America branch in Watertown Square and force DM to hand over his debit card and personal identification number. Jahar uses the card to withdraw $800 from DM's account. Okay. It says, it says 15 is usually the ideal or average. And they used five rounds to kill the cop, right? To get, for what, the cop gun, how many rounds are in that, do you think? I don't, I don't know what he Not had. Lot, I would right? assume maybe like a Glock nine. That's what they normally hold. So probably so what, 17 12, rounds 10. or something like that. I mean, but they executed the guy. Right, right. Um, so in exactly the same fashion as Ibrahim Todeshev later in the story. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, That's, five to the chest, one to the head. Pretty close. So, all right, the manhunt. April 19, 2013. 12.15 a.m., DM escapes from the Mercedes, runs to another gas station across the street, and calls 911. Uh, he says the police can track down the SUV because he left his iPhone in it. The brothers drive to Laurel Street and Dexter Avenue in Watertown, where police try to apprehend them. Uh, 12.43 a.m., Jahar and Tamerlan engage in a gun battle with police and use four of the five IEDs including a pressure cooker bomb and pipe bombs. Uh, so this is the throwing the bombs out the window, I believe, as they come to a stop. And then, <laughs> they, then engage in a gun they, battle. They engage in a gun battle with maybe 17 rounds in the cop's gun and 10 rounds left in the original gun. There was real eyewitness video mm-hmm. that I remember, like it was yesterday. I don't think that Sarnayev's fired a shot. There was a lot of shots fired, but they were saying, we didn't do it, we give up, we are... we." Just and right. then you hear the gunfire after that. Well, I remember. So I don't believe in that some story. of one of your articles. There was eyewitness. I don't want to say testimony because I don't think it happened at trial, but it was like to the to the media, right, where people were coming out and yeah. giving cell phone video and saying like, "Hey, we heard them say we give up." Yes. And then I they saw were still, all those videos. You'll notice all my links are dead, but before right. WordPress took me down, they were all alive, and I and I did for a while there upload it to my computer but i can't mm-hmm. i can't find any of it mm-hmm. now thank god that's the kind of stuff that keeps you alive <laughs> not right. having that's any right. <laughs> proof <laughs> i will never offer proof of anything just for the record <laughs> all right so at 12 50 a.m uh tamerlan sarnayev weakened by multiple gunshot wounds is tackled by three watertown police officers uh sergeant jeffrey pugliesi Sergeant John McClellan and Officer John Reynolds. Uh, he struggles as they try to handcuff him. Jahar gets back into the Mercedes SUV and steers it directly at the three police officers. He barely misses Pugliese, uh, who was attempting to drag, drag Tamerlan to safety. Jahar runs over his brother, quote, seriously injuring him and contributing to his death, the indictment against him says. Uh, Richard Donahue, a Massachusetts Bay Transportation Authority officer, is hit by friendly fire and nearly bleeds to death. 
This one is fucking crazy. Okay. This one is crazy. That thing about friendly fire didn't come out until a long time after I said they took that guy out. This is what happened with that guy. And original reports were that he was in Cambridge with Sean Collier, his classmate. And mm. Collier was executed, five to the body, one to the head. Donahue got a shot at extremely close range in like all three arteries in his leg or whatever. I don't know how this works, but it's another assassination style. You just walk right. up to the guy, stand next to him. Hey, how you doing, buddy? And yeah. you're dead. They let him, well, he bled for 45 minutes when there were cops everywhere. And he, there was this thing, I had to investigate afterwards because it's hard to tell what's real and what's fake. And back then they, they, they weren't as good at, at just not giving any details. So the sure. details got out. And I did research, and it is possible to basically lose all your blood and be reanimated. It is possible if you use like a super advanced technique. It is possible. And they brought, so they brought him to Boston, which is like a, a medical, you know, next gen medical place, and they fucking saved the guy. So we were like, okay, he's never going to say anything, I'm sure. But right. what was so crazy about that story. So I knew, I said, like, that was an inside job. And later it came out that it was friendly fire. I mean, I can prove that, that I saw that coming. But there were six Watertown cops engaged in this gun battle. And the only outside cop there was a transit cop from Boston, this Richard Donahue, who originally was reported having been shot in Cambridge, who happened to be a friend of Sean Collier, who died on the MIT campus that same night. Why the hell would that guy, and I think he might have been a witness to the Sean Collier thing, why would that be the only cop in all of Boston that got to Watertown in time for the six Watertown cops in the shootout? Later they, they changed the story, but that was the story, and that was absolutely, those articles are still up there. So you said he was reported shot in Cambridge? At first, and he was in a Cambridge hospital. He was huh. reset. Re Saved in a Cambridge hospital. So maybe it wasn't 45 minutes of him bleeding out because that would, I don't know. That's I really so don't wild. know. If he's shot it's at wild. MIT. That one's wild. Right? If he's yeah. shot at MIT, yeah. the shootout is like across a fucking river and five, several neighborhoods away. Miles, yeah. Yeah, in, in Watertown. And then transported back to Cambridge to the hospital. Yes. <sighs> okay. And, and then also. That one is really weird. I worried for that guy. And I'm sure he woke up with a, as he actually did wake up with amnesia. And it was like, yeah, good, good thinking. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, but also, as I say here. But it, that uh, one's so weird, though. I think the Sean Collier, Donny thing is unrelated to the Boston Marathon bombing those guys at all. I don't, that was like, those two guys got taken out for some reason. I'm not By somebody, convinced. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not convinced any of it's related. The carjacking, yeah, yeah, very... the carjacking, the MIT cop, Donahue. The I'm not convinced. Too. Yeah, that's right. None of it was. You're so, right but also that what they note here is that Jahar, while his brother Tamerlan was trying to be pulled to safety by a hero cop, so they could bring him to justice, one of the bombers, right? They're trying to pull him to safety. He can't in time because his brother runs him over. Yeah. Contributing to his death, right? I seem I to remember like three things about that, in in one of your articles that there's a theory that had circulated. I don't remember if it was from a credible source or if it was just like sort of internet rumor that uh, the cops actually hit him 
with the car. It was an eyewitness calling That's into right. a radio That's right. That's show right. from that street. That's right. In the so, morning. It was like five, six in the morning. She was like, you wouldn't believe this. This is what yeah. happened. They're like, no, they said he was whatever. She's like, no. That's why I think that black vehicle was a cop car. So what they said, and right, there was, was somebody, there was a cop first, on the ground. Was it, was it that, that they first executed him and then ran over him with a cop vehicle, right? I think so. Yeah. And I think uh, my suspicion is that that first video, when they say we give up and they get, and mm-hmm. the cops start shooting, I think that's when Jahar ran away right. because it's after that, that you get the video of the naked man. So they had Tamerlan Sarnayev naked in the back of a cop car and it was broadcast on CNN. And I don't know if you, if the video has gone or what, but I mean, I looked at that thing. I was up all night. I looked at every picture of that guy all night long to the point where the pictures I found Alex Jones actually ripped off. Nice. <laughs> I don't know how he found it, but he was like in the exact same configuration. <laughs> I'd put them all together yeah. because he had done this special called have passport will box or something like that, mm. which was a fake story about him from before that he was having a legacy developed about who he was. Cause he was going to be a CIA agent. That's my right. suspicion. So there were all these pictures of him cause he was a boxer of him shirtless so I could, I was looking at like the pattern of his chest hair, which is mm-hmm. unique and like the shape of his pecs and how tall he was. You, I mean, it was hard to see the face, but you could, there was no question that his mother and aunt said it was him, but that, so he was first, he was naked in a cop car and it was broadcast by CNN in real time. And then he was dead under well, and, a car. And even if it's, if it's not him, right, even, even if it's not. On the outside chance it's not him. Who the fuck was it? Yes. So my article right? is who is the naked man. But I'll tell you, this is what they told me. Somebody kept trolling me that day mm. because I did this on the air. See, so this okay. I did all this research and the other people were like, you can't say that stuff. I said, but it's true. <laughs> so and Just you know, to facts. his credit. I called my boss and he said, just make sure you separate what you can prove from what you think is true and do what you want. It was amazing. And uh, and I had some guy calling and Facebooking me and he's like, hey, you know, you really just need to say that you're not sure. Say whatever you want, but just always end with, I'm not sure. And I was like, really? Mm. Yeah. And I was out. too <laughs> stupid to take that advice at the time. Oh, uh, well. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I, I got say, away with it, but it's not smart. I'm not sure. I say go for it. <laughs> I don't. I just don't know. I mean, what do I know now? It's been so long, but uh, right. I do. I I was I was because I kept saying no, and he was he called me on the air. It's like no, there's no doubt in my mind. There's absolutely no doubt in my mind. I mean, I stayed up all night. I looked at every picture. There's no doubt in my mind. And he was like, he's too short. He's too tall. It's like no, it's <laughs> definitely him. <laughs> so, anyway, I think it was. Okay, Hopefully so now, one, yeah. 1.35 a.m., Tamerlan was pronounced dead at Beth Israel uh, Deaconess Medical Center. Uh, the cause, traumatic injuries of the head and torso. His fingerprints lead to identification of both bombing suspects. Jahar, also bleeding from multiple gunshot wounds, smashes his cell phones uh, and abandons the Mercedes on Spruce Street in Watertown. He hides in a dry-docked boat, the Slipway 2, in a backyard in Watertown. So... 7 a.m., investigators released Jahar Sarnayev's name and photo. Police begin a, do- begin a door-to-door search in Watertown, which is under a shelter-in-place order. Uh, later that evening, 5 p.m., agents raid an apartment in New Bedford and question Jahar's classmates. So uh, I, I did not know this. We're to believe that Jahar 
who has been shot found his way into a boat and stayed there from, let's be generous and call it 2 a.m., give him 25-ish minutes to run away from the scene and find a place. 2 a.m. until this picks up at, again, like 5 p.m. that night. Oh, was it? Oh. Well, 5 p.m., agents raid an apartment in New Bedford and question Jahar's classmates. 6 to 7 p.m., the shelter-in-place order is briefly lifted. Uh, and that's David, when he's found. And that's when David, David Hineberry goes out to check on the boat and sees a man covered with blood under the tarp. Um, I'm, I'm dubious of that because the tarp was covering the boat. And when you, I remember, I remember seeing like the SWAT video and the hostage response team video and you could, the tarp was over. Like, yeah, it was pulled back. Like, like somebody had been in there and they couldn't quite flip it back over, you know, but like, it's not like the tarp was over and he's going to go outside in the early evening and check the boat and go, Oh shit, there's a guy in there. Like there's no way he saw that. Right. So, all right. So anyway, eight thirty. Well, I don't know about that, but later it came out, which you're, there's no way you're going to find that there. <clears throat> John Miller, who was goes flips between the FBI and the media. And I think mm-hmm. he's back at like the New York cops or whatever. He got the exclusive with Danny, the carjack victim, but he also mm. uh, got some exclusive about that situation. And one of the things that came out that day was that while Jahar Sanayev was bleeding to death in that boat, and I think it was to death, he wrote in ballpoint pen on the inside of a fiberglass boat, I think his confession, basically. Sorry, I guess this is all out there. I don't know. Yeah, I, I remember hearing that. And that's I was but later, so, you know, and then they gave new pictures of it. That's what happens. Like, same thing with Edward Snowden. Like, later, right. long time later, all of a sudden, new pictures emerge. Right. And they're all, like, stylized. And right. it's like, really? They, You, you know, you, you called in Annie Leibovitz for this, and you were only just now seeing <laughs> the, the fabulous pictures? It's wild shit. And I'm so, assuming we never saw one, like, body cam or dashboard cam the entire time throughout everything that happened I, in Watertown and... Yeah, I don't know if this was before that because I never thought of that. But yeah, there was none of that. And yeah, but there remember, was some personal video. I don't remember body cam. I think there might have been like some, again, this is like, you know, what, seven years ago now. I don't quite remember. Yeah. I feel like there might have been some dash cam, but like, I don't think it was anything good because there was just like, you know, the mm-hmm. cars facing the wrong way and they're blocking a road or something like that. And it's just, it's dark and light and there's gunshots in the background. That's all you can really see. I, I seem to remember ah, I some of that, you. but. But definitely no body cam ever. If they had it, it was not released for, I think, obvious reasons. But <laughs> <laughs> right, this story was pretty pretty convoluted. Right. Um, okay. So eight thirty p.m. Police announced they have a, a person they believe to be sus- the suspect, Jahar Sarnayev, covered, uh, cornered. Sorry, cornered in the boat. They fire flashbang grenades and their weapons, and order him to come out with his hands up. Uh, 845, covered with blood, Sarnayev emerges from the boat, lifting his shirt to show he is not armed. And they're nice enough to include a photo here, which I will show you on the camera if I can get it to show up properly. But this is him allegedly covered in blood. You can see the nice little laser point from the gun on his forehead. Oh my God, yeah. That was Um, one of the later, the, the pictures that came out. Well, and also at this point, remember, he was supposed to have been shot through the (laughs) neck. And uh, 
That's why he couldn't. That's why he couldn't speak or give any testimony. Don't even get me can, started on that. As you can see, yeah. there's no uh, nope. no gunshot wound to the neck. Uh, nope. Just throwing that out there. <laughs> Not at all. All right. I'll so, skip to his the photo of him in the hospital. I'll, we'll get to that. Don't let don't let's forget that. Okay. Do you know what uh, I'm so talking I, about? I, I don't remember that. Um, I, well, I, I he, do remember there being a photo, but I don't, I don't remember anything about it. Like, I can't close my eyes and see it. So, Well, there was that all that story. I'm glad you said that there was all mm. that story about him being shot in the throat where he couldn't talk and blah, blah, blah. Mm. So there was a, a picture snuck out, I guess, of the hospital where he was operated on. And there's no throat wound. And in the article that I was reading at that time, but they didn't show that picture, it said how he was on a ventilator then and couldn't speak at all. He could barely breathe and all that. So there's, there's a picture of him without any tubes or anything attached to him. And you can see like there's plugs in his ears, which some mm -hmm. people say it's keep your brains from leaking out. And there was blood pooling at the back of his neck and the back of his head. Mm. I mean, it looked to me like he was dead right then and there right. that week. And I said on the radio, I wouldn't be surprised if you never see a picture of him alive again. And, and we never did. <laughs> year, this is this was the one case where they they the big the big they yes. were aware of my work. So <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, so a couple of years later when he finally goes to trial and there's media all down the street, you know, it was like a house of mirrors where you could just, as far as I could see, there were media and I was waiting, waiting for someone to snap a pic of this guy going in and they didn't. And of course it was all sketches and everything. And one of his classmates said, it didn't even look like the same person to me. It was like, okay, mm. that's a tell. Yeah. And I went on the radio and I said, I told you, you'd never see a picture of this guy again. And then within a week, they put out this like really, really sketchy, what I think was a deep fake of him in his room, just kind of like hard to see. And it was allegedly him in his room, I guess, in case like the real truth ever came out or right. whatever. I don't know. It was like weird. And I thought, gosh, geez, they are really listening to me. It's never <laughs> happened to me before or since, but this was still when they were trying to button everything up, the media. Right. And then I right. guess the next time I had a big problem was when I started predicting what was going to happen in the COVID thing <laughs> right in Atlanta, where the CDC is. It was like, oh my gosh, the stock market's going to go down 40%. GDP is going to decline 10%. And, uh, and, I, and then they, I just got a call, like, they're taking the Monica Perez show off the air. It's like, wow, it is about time. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the run. But, like, I wouldn't, it could have happened years ago. I wouldn't have been surprised. You said but this one was thing the one too where many. I think it mattered. Say it again. You said one thing too many. I know. Well, actually, Binkley likes to point out that on that show, I basically said that. I said what we're saying. I said, like, 9-11, like, just all these things that I didn't usually say. But my new executive producer was liking our podcast. And he said, just bring the podcast on the air. And I was like, mm, oh, all right. Dangerous. <laughs> that was that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's not that I really made such an impact. But I know this one made an impact because of, of the absolute last thing that ever happened, which we'll get to at the end. So okay. I know I was on somebody's radar. So we'll, we'll get to that. That's a little much... Easter egg for people to find later. Okay. So this is called the aftermath. I don't think it's necessarily important. Um, it's just extra shit. Um, so here's according to documents filed later by his lawyers during the questioning, Sarnia was intubated and unable to speak, but communicates by writing on a notepad. His lawyers say he was heavily sedated, in pain, and asked repeatedly to be left alone. 
His injuries include multiple gunshot wounds that pierced the base of his skull. Um, he was standing with his hands up, uh, mouth and vertebrae. Um, he required emergency surgery. Okay. Uh, he but says he's walking around no... now, according to them, like right now, he right. just walks around. Yeah. So the idea that he's still alive is hard to. Yes. I, I don't, I don't believe that he is. Um, he said there are no other suspects at large, no other bombs, uh, from a defense motion in all, he wrote the word lawyer 10 times sometimes circling it. At one point, he wrote, I am tired, leave me alone. I want a uh, illegible. His pen or pencil then trails off the page, suggesting that he fell asleep, (laughs) lost motor control, or passed out. At least five other times in these pages, he begged the agents to leave him alone and let him sleep. He also wrote, I'm hurt, I'm exhausted, and can we do this later? At one point, he wrote, you said you were going to let me sleep. Another note reads, I need to throw up. Um, agents search his dorm room at Pinedale Hall on the UMass Dartmouth campus. They find the dark jacket and white hat seen on the surveillance video, very convenient. And they also find some BBs and gunpowder on the floor and windowsill. That's a weird place to find them, but also very convenient. Um, agents search the New Bedford apartment and continue to question Jahar's classmates. Sarnayev gets to see lawyer gets to see a lawyer at 9 a.m. on April 22nd and is arraigned at his bedside. Um, the rest is just kind of the you know, the rest yeah, of the I don't aftermath. think there's anything too fabulous or oh, fantastic to here, here's except one. for that. Here's one that, that mentions your boy. So on May 22nd, 2013, an FBI agent shoots and kills Ibrahim Todeshev. Ibrahim Todeshev. I could cry for him. Yeah. While questioning him about t- his relationship with Tamerlan Sarnayev. Cell phone records connect the two. Uh, Todeshev tells FBI that Tamerlan told him he participated in a drug-related triple homicide. The victim's throats were slashed and marijuana had been sprinkled over the bodies. <laughs> Anything? That did not happen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't that see what's funny is happen. I don't remember There's hearing no way anything that happened. about that. That murder was not then. There's no chance. I think the did, murder was solved. Was it? Because I, I don't even remember hearing about this. Yeah, they wanted to pin this drug crime mm-hmm. on those guys, and there just is no way. And uh, so Ibrahim Todeshev was a was a friend, not the best friend, but a friend of Tamerlan Sarnayev. Mm-hmm. He was, I think it was Chechen or Russian. Yes. And he was one of 13 kids, and he worked out a lot, I guess. Maybe that's how we knew Tamerlan. And Tamerlan told him, in that intervening period between the Boston Marathon bombing and when he was killed, that he that he was set up. So this mm. is what Abraham Todeshev thought. And his friend, who the, for some reason the video interview of his friend is still up there. So yeah. either I, I mean I don't know what, I watched it. I don't know why I left it up there. I remember you sent it to me. It, that's it's terrible. Man, that that's poor guy. Yeah, so the friend said Abraham Todeshev wanted to leave, wanted to go back to Russia. He wanted out of here. And the FBI asked him to please not not go just yet. So he had a ticket he did not use. And he was afraid. And he told his friend, like, they're coming over to my house and I'm afraid. And his friend then was interviewed by the media like that night. Todeshev was shot, I believe it was five times in the body, once in the crown of the head, in his own apartment by the FBI agents who said he attacked them. But the the story kept changing. There was there was no weapon there. So finally, they said it was a broom handle, and uh, the father 
had a press conference in Russia and put up pictures of him. And it was very, very sad. I'm really mm-hmm. just sick about that one. And a really weird thing was this was a really weird experience. His he he had a wife. And I wonder if it was like some immigration thing. I'm not really sure. And then he had another woman who he lived with, who was supposedly his roommate. And there was a video of now you couldn't see who was behind the video, but it was a video of him like at CVS or something, just shopping. And the roommate girl was taking that picture. And I think he kissed her or she kissed him during that video. So then the wife who I then concluded it was an immigration thing. She did go back to Russia and she called me. She called me. Totoshev's it was the wife. weirdest thing. Todashev's wife. So I was on WSB, and this is how I know that the stuff I was doing was somehow resonating with somebody because a lawyer for like the Islamic something or other said, Would you talk to her? Would you interview her? And I never aired the interview. Like mm-hmm. I, there was a rule at WSB basically don't do interviews. And I was so stupid. I thought right. that was like a strict rule, but definitely would not have been. Like when I interviewed Ron Paul, they played it. So obviously I should have used my head, but I, I probably have the interview somewhere, but it, it was weird because two things were weird about it. I know it was Russia though, because I was trying to call her and that's how I discovered kind of do it from the studio on WSB that I couldn't call out internationally. So I knew okay. it took me like three, four hours to like get through all the whatever. So red tape to get a call out. And when I did finally talk to her, it was very interesting, but the two things that were weird was one she called, I said, so his girlfriend, you know, what's up with her? And he said, his girl, she said, his girlfriend, you mean his roommate? And I said, well, I, I think I either outed him as having a girlfriend behind your back, or you don't really know what's going on with sure. this guy because it was like a marriage of convenience. And then the other thing I said is I don't really believe it was him in the courthouse that day. So is that, is that long after that? It was She said she was in touch with the Sarnayevs. And I said, I don't think that was Jahar Sarnayev in the courthouse. And she said, oh, they he he's in jail. They're trying to get him out. They think that that these guys don't know who did it, and they're just trying to pin it on their boys. And I thought, oh, that's not my theory. But whatever. I didn't argue with her. I was like a little really trying to figure out what was going on there. But that was Ibrahim Todeshev's. Wife, it was a terrible thing. She said she wanted justice for him, and she seemed legit to me. Those details seemed weird. Sure. I think the, if it's a CIA family, I can't imagine they would ever, you know, people are dying. I can't imagine you would ever say anything to anyone, you know, right. that really pointed the finger. That's weird. Okay. So I just, I don't know. that Those, those are very weird comments by her, I think, just based, based on the interview that his roommates gave the night that he was killed um, in that video that you sent me, just because they were like, well, yeah, you know, he, he knew them, but he didn't really know them. And it had been years since they talked and like the one guy, right? Yeah. Yeah. The one guy. Yeah. I don't know if it was his roommate, but, uh, he, let me say there was just a lot of weird stuff there, you know, like, it almost seemed like, like at first it was like, okay, this is real. And the guy's just kind of upset. But then the more I watched it and I watched it twice, but the more I watched it, I was like, mm, this guy, he almost seems like he's trying to like, just shuttle everything off. Then all of a sudden the other guy, the big guy who doesn't say shit the whole time, it's just kind of like, he's on the phone. Right. And, th- and then at the end, he's just kind of like, okay, let's see, we got to go or whatever. And it's like, ah, 
Like, okay, are are you the handler? Like, what's 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 going on here? I, I can't remember. Are you talking about the video of the guy who was a friend of Ibrahim? Yes. Todashev saying what happened outside. Yes. See, I haven't yes. seen it in five years. Yeah. I didn't. I sent it to yeah. you, but I didn't watch the whole thing through. So it seemed just very off. And the way that he was trying to make the relationship sound was that they didn't. They weren't really friends because they kept asking him like. So That's were they friends? What I thought, yeah. And he was like, well, not really. Like he knew him when he lived in Boston, but they yeah, haven't really I, spoken. That, that seems right. Yeah. So he, they haven't really well, spoken. Well, I took so, that at face value. Let's just yeah. Um, so, but, but for the wife to then go and say like, well, like she had all these details, like the, everything, like everything else in this case, everything just seems off. I thought, I thought that uh, the Abraham Todeshev thing was just that he, he knew Tamerlan's backstory mm-hmm. with the CIA. That's probably That's what accurate. I think. Probably accurate. But it, okay. but it, I mean, there's, there's documentary evidence that he was at the Jamestown Foundation, Tamerlan right. Sinayev. And his, I mean, Samantha Fuller Sarnayev, like that's her name. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, exactly. Okay, so we're at the end of this, the timeline. The rest is just like the trial, which there's nothing really interesting there. But so... Do we need to go back? Is there anything that we kind of missed on the way up to this? Or yeah, I mean, are you short of time, or should no, absolutely we... not. We have yeah, as much okay, time let... as you can give us. Yeah. Okay. Let me just <laughs> eyeball what. Um, yeah. So Jaharis and I was guilty on all counts. They'll they'll have to like put him to death. I think. Well, he yeah he got sentenced to death. Mm-hmm. I know, oh, I know he the, did. The, okay. The defense, they... the defense argued uh, in favor of life because they said if he was a uh, a Muslim terrorist. Are you going to give him the ability to be a martyr? Uh, you know, you're doing what he wants here, so we need to give him life. That'll be more punishment than death. Um, but he got convicted and sentenced to death. So there you go. Yeah, and and they had to make it federal because I don't think Massachusetts has the death penalty. I think that's. I'm correct. looking at my old article. I'm like, they're going to give him death even if he doesn't, even if Massachusetts either, doesn't have the death penalty. Either way. So <laughs> yeah. So yeah. See, all of my. Uh, pictures are gone. That's what happened when I got taken down from WordPress. Yeah. They, I got I my words that. back, but I, I didn't get anything else. So let's see what else I had. That's all right. Um, yeah, there's an amazing eyewitness account of Tamerlan Sinai of shootout. Uh, that's still there. The, yeah, this is the Tamerlan's book list was how to win friends and influence people and the constellation of philosophy, which is a good one. Right. Gibbons, the decline of full of the Roman Empire, I think is not that good, but uh, it probably has lessons in it. I think it was a whitewash. Sure, sure. <laughs> I remember like, oh, I really want that book. And then as I started to have a different perspective on how history was written, right. people were like, yeah, don't read that one. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, no, this is a good one. So you wanted to talk about the wife. Yes. So yes. here is, so... So if I can, I'll, yeah. I'll set this one up, right? Because this was, when this happened in 2013, I've been a conspiracy enthusiast for a very long time, right? I was already questioning 9-11 uh, probably from maybe just a few years after it happened. Um, I didn't immediately question, I don't think, the Boston bombing as it happened, but I remember a couple of years later, like really doing a deep dive and trying to figure out what the fuck was going on because I questioned this. I questioned Newtown. I questioned basically everything that could have possibly been a false flag uh, ever since 9-11. So, like every 
at, at this time, I, re- I remember there were all these women who were coming from the West, right? So from America or from England, and they're being married off into these Muslim terrorist families, right? And they're being radicalized by these handsome Muslim terrorist men. Well, here we are again. Boston, U.S., right? The bombers, what do they have? They have a young brother who's a college student, and the older brother has a beautiful white American wife, right? Who's apparently radicalized in like less than a year and married off to this guy. Um, And then, bye Mikey, Mikey's taking a break. (laughs) Baby's crying. Um, And then, uh, you know, not much is made of her. She's very quiet. She wears the whole thing, you know, like you can't really see her. Um, And then the trial happens, and then all of a sudden, she just, she fucking disappears, right? Like she goes back over, like that's all we hear is like, oh, she's back in Russia or back wherever, right? Like she's gone. Like, well, how the fuck are you allowed to leave? Like, don't you know something? This happened Do in your fucking apartment. Do you not know her apartment. backstory? Well, and after I read your articles, thank you for sending those. <laughs> oh man, you're scooping me. Well, tell us, tell no, us go ahead, now. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, go no. ahead. Well, I don't remember exactly, but it's, you know, she is, it, was her grandfather a bonesman? Like, <laughs> I what think the her, fuck? Uh, yeah, and he was, I, I have the um, the article here. It's, my article was, question how many Islamic terrorists marry into Skull and Bones families? And my answer is one, Tamerlan Zayab, or none, if you yeah. don't think he's a terrorist. Right. So... He married Catherine Russell Sarnayev. She was the daughter of the Yale graduate, Dr. Warren King Russell. Uh, Yale has deep CIA links. I don't know if you know that, like, that's the recruiting ground for the CIA is, yeah, like Anderson Cooper went to Yale. He only had two jobs when he was in college and they were both at the CIA. So... I just looked into her thing and supposedly they met at a nightclub, whatever. He's, he's a good her, Muslim, you know? Yeah. A radical Muslim eating this chicken. The and the, <laughs> yeah. She, her grandfather was Richard Warren Russell, who was not only a Yale graduate like her father, but he was a member of skull and bones. Jesus and Christ. Do we, and sorry, he did we, something else. Yeah. Do we know what year he graduated? It was in, it was in the, it looks like Anthony Sutton put all the names of the Skull and Bones people in his book, America's Secret Establishment, an introduction okay. to the Order of Skull and Bones. Yeah. So you can find it in 1951. In the book, Richard Warren Russell is listed as one of the 15 annual Skull and Bones initiates for the year 1951. And his obituary lists him as being a member of counterintelligence for the U.S. Army after graduating from Yale. When did Bush graduate? Uh, Bush, the bo- was W the Bonesman? No, H.W., his father, Papa oh, Bush. Oh, H.W., 50, had to, maybe, maybe. Late 40s, maybe. 40, mid 40s. Okay. Sorry. Could I was have looking been. for other so, connections that might not exist. <laughs> so here was the other thing. I, I looked for as many connections as I could find, and there's sure. I, no doubt in my mind I would have found that. The Skull and Bones is actually called the official corporate name of it. It's called the Russell Trust. Oh, so, my God. I know. I couldn't <laughs> find a direct. I actually, I think I paid for Ancestry.com to investigate that family's ancestry. 
because I just fucking wanted to know. Right, and right. I couldn't find a descendant. You know, that's incomplete information. So I couldn't find that exact thing. But I thought it was weird. It's called the Russell Trust. But here was the thing that was really weird is that this book, this article, Will Box for Passport, which mm-hmm. was in some, some, uh, I, I forget the publication. It wasn't famous, but it's been completely scrubbed from the internet. But I think I found it before. I think I found it before it was scrubbed. It says, because I have quotes here from it. It says, the article quotes Tamerlan Snyder as saying that he had not one American friend, uh, even though the next year his daughter was born to Catherine Russell. Right. And it and according to that story, it was conceived out of wedlock, kind of unlikely for a radical Islamist. Right. And he also said that his girlfriend there in that picture was half Italian, half Portuguese. And also uh, not Catherine Russell. <laughs> but the picture was Catherine Russell. Ah, OK. So the picture that I think that was I don't know if that was the stuff that came out in the Alex Jones thing. But the picture, I looked at it like 10 different ways and I put it up and I had people commenting on the blog post. I didn't say this is the same person. I just said, do you think this is the same person? Yeah. And then everybody thought it was the same person. And then other people saying, oh, no, I guess it isn't because she's not Catherine Russell. It's like, well, she looks exactly like Catherine Russell. And Catherine Russell bore his child like a year later. Right. So they had in 2009, which was four years prior to that, when that article came out, they were what I think was establishing a legacy for this guy. So that they were creating this impression that he was a very international dude and he had no American friends, even though he was probably engaged to Catherine Russell at that point, had a baby shortly thereafter with her. She's a Skull and Bones family. His uncle was in the CIA. Just fishy. They, they needed a lone wolf. I don't and think they, so. And I they think didn't have they, one. They were, that was the problem. He, yeah, I think that they he had blown his cover and he was really going to be deep cover. You know, they have to have a deep cover. They have to be something else. He was mm-hmm. a boxer. He was right. a boxer. And that was yeah, his he deep was cover. Like I think. New England Golden Gloves champion, right? Oh, yeah. He and was wasn't great. he like, didn't he compete in the Olympics or he was on his way to the Olympics or something like something that? Something big. Yeah. I, or that was like early on. That was like the whole story was like, man, this guy was like, he boxed for us. Like, you know, he was an American yeah, he boxer. He had that, his citizenship. Right. It was crazy. Um, yeah. So, it had so, to just turn it on its head. So what it's else? It's like uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Like her uh, original yes. story was that she was this go-getter. She was always in a suit. She interned for Ted Kennedy when she was in college. And then they decided that first they decided she was a waitress. And then they decided it'd be cooler for her to be a, a bartender. bartender. And her brother put her name in the hat. And she got, you know, auditioned for the role. Yeah. I mean, it was so. And so they the, just flipped the story when they need to. I think. The bar that she worked at wasn't even open at the time. She claims that she worked there. Some bullshit like that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I, I actually found that. That was a, there was an article in a mainstream, like New York Times or whatever, interviewing someone who said that she was a bitch to work for and that they worked together at this place. And I mean, she didn't say it, but the New York Times did. It took me two seconds to vet that. Two right. seconds. So, I mean, if they're that sloppy, sloppy or deliberate, it's like a Lysandra Spooner thing. Be it one thing or the other. Yeah. It's done work for me. In either case. So, what I <laughs> doesn't work. So, we did the Donahue one. Oh, the Watertown thing goes on and on. The one thing that was weird that we didn't mention was 
that there was one thing before I wrote this on April 26th, who is the man on the ground at the Watertown scenario? There was a guy, a white guy. I saw a picture of him on the ground with his hands behind his head and a cop in the background and a separate thing saying, don't shoot. That's a cop. It's not what it looks like. So I think I pieced together. Maybe that cop was reaching out to those guys, trying to get them to surrender. I don't know. And things went bad, but the cop hit the deck and, and there was like, don't shoot him. <laughs> so I feel like that was that cop's black SUV. I kind of felt that was what was uh, going on there. Okay. Uh, yeah, he was the New England Golden Globes, Golden Gloves heavyweight champ. Interesting. That is what he was. And let's see. Tamerlan was a radical Islamist and a white right wing extremist. This was the Wall Street Journal thing. It said Boston bombing suspect was steeped in conspiracies. That's when they <laughs> talked about the protocols of the elders of that's Zion. Right. That's right. And that makes him a right wing extremist just because he has that. Book. That's what they said. <laughs> he was a truther. And. Yeah, so that that was that was a story that came out. August of 2013. So I don't know why they felt that they had to revisit that. I think they just, they really like to, oh, it's for the conspiracy theory thing. They wanted to paint the conspiracy theory thing as the kind of a, a terrorist approach. That's right. Oh, and the FBI was found justified in shooting Ibrahim Todeshev six times in the body and once in the crown of the head. My mistake. I said five and one. It was six and one. And I said the New York Times reported that from 93 to 2011, FBI agents fatally shot 70 people and wounded 80 others. And every one of those shootings was deemed justified, including this one. <laughs> yeah, of course. So I understand why people are rioting, but uh, it should be a us against them Jeez. kind of thing. Oh, oh, my gosh. My favorite. It's actually terrible, truly terrible. It's not, I shouldn't even joke, really. Uh, although, who knows what these guys were up to. Details, this is an article from April 4th, 2015, two years later. Details about FBI agents' deaths kept secret. Scott Doherty of the Virginian pilot is trying oh, to- yes, is, that's right. Yes, I forgot about this. Had this thing between his teeth, and I feel like writing him a note, like, or he, I'm sure he dropped it. Somebody, I'm sure somebody wrote him a note like, hey, you might want to drop it. So special agents Christopher Lorak and Stephen Shaw. Oh, and we didn't mention Chris Kyle. We're hanging out of a helicopter off we'll the coast of Virginia worry. Beach in 2013. May 2013, when their hello began to pitch. Without warning, it dropped towards the Atlantic Ocean. The pilot regained control, but not before Lorak and Shaw fell 150 feet to their deaths. They... Uh, it was May 17, 2013, so a month to the day almost after the Boston Marathon bombing. And these guys were part of the hostage rescue team, which is only dozens of people, under 100 people for sure. The, the, the FBI hostage rescue team does not have like multiple calls every night. They have right. a limited number of things they call. So... There were a lot of articles swirling that these guys were instrumental in the Boston Marathon bombing investigation or arrest or whatever. And since the Jahar Sanayev thing, you know, I think both of those guys were killed by the authorities. That's what it looks like to me. If these guys, some guys won't go along. 
and they literally fell out of a helicopter. They didn't have any any kind of security thing at all. These are these are like the equivalent of Navy SEALs. They were 41 years old or 40 and 41. I mean, these guys were valuable assets and they fell out of a helicopter a month right. later together. So that was fishy and it reminded me of the Chris Kyle story which was Chris Kyle was killed he took an, a soldier with PTSD to a shooting range and under some really hard to understand circumstances in a remote place, that guy killed him. This was shortly before the Boston Marathon bombing. Right. And his business was Kraft International, which was seen right. with big black backpacks at the Boston Marathon bombing. So right. if you wanted to speculate at a possible connection, perhaps they floated it by him and he said, no. And they're like, oh, sorry, that's not the right door to pick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's I never, you know, I never even thought about that. And I think I remember hearing like connections, but my mind wasn't quite working that direction yet. Um, but I remember like, yeah, the, all these after the after the bombing. Right. And especially when I'm starting looking into this stuff, all these photos of guys from the crowd come in. They're like, hey, this these guys are from Kraft International. They're wearing the fucking Punisher thing like. They got these big backpacks. What's in the backpack? We're like, well, it's it's radio gear. They need radio gear to communicate. Like, well, that's bullshit. There's no fucking antennas. No, there's no radio gear in there. What the fuck do they have in their backpacks? Um, but I've I never put the two and two together that he could have been part of the crew to plan some of that, and then he got cleaned up. You know, which the whole thing is very weird. You know, I, Mike, Mike. I mean, I don't know. I just I speculate that there was a connection there. Sure, because it's, his it's story was weird and those guys popped up within a time frame where it had to have been in motion by yeah, then. Yeah. Well and, and Mikey, you remember where he got he got killed, right? Mm. That was out at uh, like Rough Creek or whatever, out by Stephenville. Snap, that's where okay, yeah. Very familiar with that range. So a lot of people that we used to work with like would go out to this like shooting range slash I don't want to say resort, but it was like a place to go. Like there was a destination like in North Texas where people would kind of like go shoot. Um, and that's that's where he was when he got he got killed. So and and they held they held the the trial in um whatever county Stephenville was in because we we worked with a lot of people who were in the jury pool. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Any and yeah, no, Routh is imprisoned in uh, Palestine. What's Texas. that? It says Texas Department of Criminal Justice Palage Unit is where Routh, who was convicted, oh, obviously. Yes. Um, and he's in Palestine? Oh, yeah. Okay, that's in, that's in East Texas. It was either in Stephenville or it was a Granberry, right? I can't well, remember which one. Well, it's, this it's is like, saying it, it was. It's somewhere out there. But, but Rough the county. Creek Ridge, Rough Creek Ranch Lodge Resort shooting range in Erath County. Yep. Erath? How do you pronounce it? Erath. Erath. Yeah, it just makes no sense, the story. Anyway, it happened in February, so two months before. So I imagine that's when they approached him. Yeah, that's very... I mean, they had to have approached Kraft International because very they strange. were there. That's, that's right. So so what do you... I mean, are there, are there more details like that that you want to hit before we get like into the weird shit? <laughs> No, I mean, okay. 
That's so, I forgot how messed up the story was. And you, you can't do this kind of research anymore. I had stopped doing it long before you couldn't do it anymore. But on February 14th, 2018, when they closed the internet, I don't know if you were aware of that, but that day I was like, oh my gosh, did anyone notice they closed the internet today? Um, it was the Parkland shooting. So I had a show that weekend and I was like, well, I'm sure somebody put up a video and we, I can figure out what happened. So there were none, zero. I was like, oh my gosh, they closed the internet. And then in August I was taken down and I was like, oh, snap, I should shit. have seen that coming. So Mike, so, you have I have a it was, yeah. I have a question for Monica. So as a, a millennial is a lot, a lot younger during all this time and the the knowledge difference between me and you is mind-boggling. You're over here like conducting a symphony and I'm playing a recorder, <laughs> missing all the notes. <laughs> like <laughs> sorry. That, that would be my fault. I'm not going uh, slow enough. But I it's just that, there was it's so awesome. much that's why Thank you, but you would have, if you could if this stuff were still there, you'd be doing it yourself. You would completely understand. But I have this theory that everybody older than me and my exact little niche of a generation is like my mom watching Fox. And everybody younger is like my kids, which are just getting funneled through YouTube. But there was this generation where they needed to get us all hooked on the internet. So they gave us truth and it was amazing. That's me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we were like, oh my God, the truth is out there. It is out there. And then we got all the truth. And then I, before they closed it, I was done. I was like, oh, I can see these things coming. I'm not even going to waste my time doing what I just, I wrote 10 articles on this. I didn't right. even waste my time. I was like, I know that one. I know that one. I know that. I just had truth dar after that. But I would tell people, look, I can't, I don't have time. People would want to argue with me. Oh, yeah. And I'd be like, I don't care what you think. Like, I don't, don't <laughs> yeah, no, I'm an idiot. I'm crazy. I don't care. If you care, you will do the research yourself. But now they can't. They can't do the research themselves. And, right. and it doesn't get done. So anybody whose eyes are not open during that time in just that way, I don't think they really fully understand, like, how this stuff really unfolded. Because you'd watch it in real time. You would watch it in real time. You'd look for the retractions in the newspaper and right. <laughs> they wouldn't be there. So because the, the like detail. the research, like yeah. the research that you're privy to, what in your eyes, what's the overall underlying motive? Like what, what would be the actual motive for all of this to take place to, you know, to carry out these bombings and then for there to be the cover up? Like what, what's right. the end game, okay. right? Like what's gained? Well, there are, there's always multiple objectives i think one they they use this guy as a patsy because he was a guy that they were going to get rid of i think so there was that which is minor then i mean he could have just fallen out of a helicopter then you know then <laughs> you you have the martial law so what yeah, they did in Bruce, that. Say, they didn't, say they didn't kill anybody I mean, let's just say that that is what happened, which didn't even occur to me at the time. I didn't think it was not real. I just thought it was an inside job. So what if they didn't kill anyone except for these guys they were going to kill anyway? What's the harm? And that way they got to test martial law, which they did. So they were, in my opinion, they weren't even looking for Jaharis and Ayab. They I didn't, maybe knew where he was or didn't. They, didn't. He was not found until the martial law experiment was over. So they told everybody to do what they're, we're all doing now. 
stay home, everybody. And people were like, $9 billion was lost that day. Could you imagine one day, one city? Then not only that, but they went door to door with big guns, big guns. She got back in your house. It was fucked up. And they showed that it could be done. And it reminded me of the Alex Jones video of Katrina, where the guys were laughing. They were saying, somebody came to the door. And when he left, we looked at each other and said, I think we just got our guns took. <laughs> you know? what? They didn't pry him out of my cold, dead hands. They just asked for them. And I was like, oh, because they lied. They lied. They told these guys, we're trying to keep the streets safe. We want your guns. They demonstrated. And I said back then, I said, you're not going to see. When they're doing it, they're not going to do it with, they're not going to come point a gun in your face. They're just going to lie to you. And... So that, I think, was this was all experiments to see how compliant we had gotten. And then there was the general atmosphere of terror, like the terror thing was the big thing at the time. And then, like, school shootings became the big thing after. Prior to that was serial killers. There was, like, all these serial killers all the time. And uh, there was just this stuff to be afraid of, stuff to the drug war, stuff to change the laws. So I don't know what big law came out of that, but it was around the same time as Edward Snowden, more or less. So when Edward Snowden came out, it didn't. It did not take me more than a couple of days to be like, "Oh, he's fake." So he and I said, "This is what'll happen. People are butting up against the Patriot Act now," and he's saying, "What they're doing is illegal. We need to talk about that." I'm like, "No, we don't need to talk about that. They need to stop doing it." So what they're going to do, I predicted right away. I'm not trying to blow my own horn. I'm just trying to point out that when you predict it, it can't possibly be unintended consequences. If it's foreseeable, you anticipate it. If you didn't intend it, then it's completely reckless. So I just think it's intended that what they did with that, for example, is they just made it all legal. They just made what he was complaining about legal, and then he never really complained about it again. And he's still saying that. He's still saying that what the government does is important and good. Watch the Joe Rogan interview with his freaky but they uh, so they had to keep the terrorism thing going so that they could change that as the second homeland security chief michael chertoff said we need to change the fundamental legal architecture of this country because of terrorism and that's what we're doing it's the whole don't let a good crisis go to waste and if you don't have a crisis just manufacture one yes but it, I, I would take it, and a third, I call that 2.0, Rahm Emanuel's Doctrine 2.0, but I think there's a 3.0, which is it's, it's not like serving an agenda with a crisis. This is the show. You know, this is the big game. This is fundamental transformation of this country. It comes from the right. It comes from left. Michael Chertoff said it. Obama said it. This is what's happening, and I think it's so fundamental that if you look at who— did COVID, if you see Event 201, are you familiar with that? So the World Economic Forum hosted that. And their vision of the future, first of all, it's a fascist thing because their their raison d'etre is to combine business and government. That's what their like mission statement is. They make it sound like stakeholders and all this kind of stuff, but it's it looks like fascism to me. And the vision is to blur the lines between that their bit vision, there are silos in my opinion, but their vision, Klaus Schwab's vision is to blur the lines between technology and biology. Mm. And I also think there's a big, this is a big financial bailout, but I think that this, this stuff, 
I think that it's such a fundamental paradigm shift that now I'm looking back on those events and seeing that they were just pulling, you know, pulling the legs off the, you know, whatever, just pulling, pulling, pulling until it collapses and it's collapsing. But yeah, it's almost- I have the answer. I figured out the solution. And I'm not the only one, but I'm a little late to that party. But I used to think you had to like fight for your rights, which you have to you have to make a stink about the Bill of Rights because we need to kick the can. You do have to make a stink about it. But once once the Trump thing happened and the people who used to join me in defending the Bill of Rights, literally, this is a quote, say now that I'm quibbling about semantics when I quote the Constitution. (laughs) Blows my mind. So now I realize there's virtually no hope that they have such control of our minds that there's no hope within the framework. So, but the hope would be, and I want to move to Austin by a farm, is to grow your own food and just make sure that you assert your private, pro- your your self-evident right to defend your own private property, which is what I think they should be doing in Portland. And if so, set up cameras all around your house, all around your business, all around everything. Set all the cameras up. Really know the laws know the laws and operate self-defense within the parameters of the laws. If the laws do not allow you to defend your own property, I got news for you. You don't own it. So you might want to leave, but if it does, you need to assert that right or you lose it forever. And that's where I think the local control is so important. And that is exactly what we're losing. And Trump's doing it. Trump's getting people on the right to say it's okay. Because in, if I move to Texas, I'm going to want to go to the local thing and say, hey, man, nobody's going to do any crazy laws here where I can't get four guys on the four corners of my property and keep anybody from coming on it, right? We're still, we're still on the same page with that, right? Well, the, the D.C. is never going to be on that page. I feel like every borderland owner, every ranch owner in Texas could stop the immigration crisis just with the Castle Doctrine. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it sounds brutal, but it wouldn't be brutal. It would never, no shot would even need to be fired. If you just make it clear that you don't allow trespassers and you have the right. So that's how I feel like should be happening in Portland. But of course, it's in Portland where you probably can't do that, which is why this stuff is happening. Why is it happening in Democrat? I couldn't really remember. You know, I could not remember. I just wasn't thinking about it right. Because it's like, well, most cities are Democrat, but Portland, I mean, is like over the top. So I feel like maybe that's a place where, I mean, if they think about if that were happening in uh, Fort Worth, mm-hmm. it was happening in Fort Worth, that exact thing. Do you think the feds would be there? Do you think people would be looking up or would they be, you know, open in the closet? Well, even, yeah, even your Texas Democrats carry. So, yeah, I just oh, yeah. can't say, right. So it's not happening in Fort Worth for a reason. I just, Somebody asked me that question recently, and I just, I was like, I don't know why it's happening. You know, I just, I, I always feel like stuff like that is anything that's a big question that everybody's asking. I, I always feel like I'll let other people handle that stuff because half of it is kind of baiting and wasting your time, but some, some of it's real, and that is a real, that's it. I think that that, that so, may be so it. So it's almost like, do you think the, I guess, after this entire COVID social experiment, which just seems like a continuation, like you said, of more grand scale uh, action of the Boston bombing, do you think the next step would be to get rid of cash? 
right? Is that kind of the oh, next step? Oh, it definitely looks like that. So that, that's, I think that a big part, so I can give you an answer why the COVID thing, you asked about Boston Marathon bombing, but the COVID thing, I was thinking, it was pretty clear that the financial crisis of 2008 kicking that can as they did. So they had 11 year expansion at the end of that time, it was 2% interest rate. When normally after an expansion, a recession comes, the average amount that the Fed lowers rates is 5%. So I, I said last year on the air and something fast, like, I wonder what they're going to do, because there's going to be a big crash if they can't lower rates anymore. And they there's this idea, which is a crazy idea to me, which is negative rates. I can tell you about that in a second. But I kind of saw this crash. I didn't see this crash, come, but I just knew that this a lot of people thought that 2008 would come home to roost. And I feel like that's what this they're giving us $10 trillion in stimulus, not because it kills microbes, <laughs> you know? It's because they're they're bailing themselves out and they're manufacturing an economic crisis as an excuse. But the cash thing, I've read an article in the International Monetary Fund blog that said that the if, if the Fed releases its own digi dollars. It didn't call it that, but I call it digi dollars. If they re release their own, this is the key that they could then have negative rates. And I was like, why? Because there would be an exchange rate with cash. So oh, it, and that's it, how you get the negative rate. So you would, if you were holding cash and you wanted a digi dollar, you could get it one for one right now. But a year from now, it's going to be it's going to cost you a dollar ten to buy one of those digi bucks, and the digi bucks is the only things you're going to be able to use. Uh, interesting. So that was the key that there would be an exchange rate with cash, and as soon as that happens, it's completely gone. And if you get people to think they want it, you might not even have to. They're they're asking for it. Corbett James Corbett pointed this out that when they start with the universal basic income, when they start with all those payments. They're going to slow walk people who want to check. If you open an account with the Fed, you're going to get the money right away. And if you don't, well, I don't know. I, I'm going to have to get back to you, ma'am. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Matt, that's probably what we were talking about earlier, why that article came out last week about um, the Fed going ahead and giving banks the ability to um, – where was that article? It says banks now will have the authority to provide fiat bank accounts and cryptocurrency custodial services to cryptocurrency businesses. So in other words, a crypto if you're a crypto Bitcoin holder, you, that's a digital currency, right? There's no physical cash for the bank to hold. So what you would do is it says, says you will give the bank your keys, your Bitcoin mm -hmm. key. They will then hold the key for you in a digital bank account. And I can send you, it's in Forbes. Do they, get to, do they get to do fractional reserve banking with it? I mean... Dude, I, uh, you know, if, you know what if I mean? Do they get to just lend out uh, uh, 10 times the amount of But that's the thing. If, if you don't own the keys, you don't own the coins. So technically, exactly. whoever holds the keys can do whatever the fuck they want to do with them. If you have to give your keys it's to your bank. Fine. Right. Yeah. But if you want to give your keys to your bank, then they're that's that's their coins at that point. So they can do whatever they want to yeah. do with it. I always thought Bitcoin was the entree to the cashless society. To, I object to the cashless society. I don't object to Bitcoin. That's great if it sure, works. Sure. But and I, I, I do just too. felt and like I, that's what it was to I know Mike's, Mike's been wondering about this over the past couple of weeks, and I, I don't have a good answer for him on 
this whole you know coin shortage, whatever bullshit the Fed's trying to pull yeah, right I now. Think, uh, um, I don't sense. I don't necessarily think that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency is the cure to the cashless society because technically it is a cashless society if you're going to go Bitcoin right, but it's I don't know, man. It's just. There's a lot of weird shit happening, right? I don't know what to say. It's, there's just so much. Yeah, weird I don't shit. really know anything about it because I, I just, I'm not great with what's happening, like where you can make money and stuff. I, this is the thing. I'm too theoretical. So when I look at the market, I think, well, this is just a Ponzi scheme. I mean, money is air. They could just like double it. So, sure. Even though all this stuff is happening. The stock market is like even. And to me, that's that's just it has to just be the fact that they doubled the money supply. So the market is half, but they doubled the money supply. So then I was looking at the 30 year bond and I thought, well, then it should have like a two and a half percent rate because, you know, the rule of 72, that if you divide the number 72 by the number of years, that's how what you're. If it takes that long to, it takes that is the percentage rate to double, right? So 72, if it takes 30 years to double, your rate would be 2.2%. I don't know why I thought that was the answer, but I just thought it should be like two or 3% mm -hmm. to, oh, because to double. Yeah. Because I, because for the money supply to double, if you're looking at the 30 year, it should be looking out to dollars worth half, right? It means that it has to be double. And it's and it's lower than that. So I thought, well, maybe it's not all inflation. And then I read the Fed is buying that shit way out on the long end of the yield curve. That's the curve they're flattening. It's almost like they're making fun of us. They are flattening that curve so that we don't see it. But for me, I never know how to really profit on that stuff because anything can happen. Like I worry I'm at this point, I'm just using up frequent flyer miles because I'm afraid the Airlines are all going to go bankrupt. That's, a, that's as mo them. most I can possibly monetize this. No, I mean, I think you're absolutely correct. You're right. I mean, we said this bubble was going to burst forever, right? COVID is the perfect excuse to pump so much money into the economy that inflation rates are going to skyrocket. And that's the only way the government's going to be able to, quote unquote, pay off the debt, right? Is by creating hyperinflation, most likely. And maybe that's why Matt, what Monica said, kind of rang a bell. Maybe that's why we're seeing a, a quote unquote change shortage, right? Because there's been so much digital currency pumped into the economy. There's not enough cash to keep up with it. And people are probably hoarding their cash. And I, I doubt the Fed actually printing a dollar for every digital dollar they create. Right? Oh, yeah, they don't. Is there a law they have to do that or probably not? No, no, fuck no, of course not. They, they, ex they, <laughs> they operate extra legally anyway, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, they reduce the reserve requirements to zero, which means that banks can produce can create as much money as they want. That's right. There's no limit. There's yeah. no oh, limit terrifying. to the amount yeah. of money. And and they can't, I was listening to some ex-Fed chick and she was saying that the fiscal stimulus stuff is just a way to get the inflation into the system. That they just mm. don't, they can't, they, they're trying to create the money by lending it because it's debt-based. They have to lend it. But people cannot borrow $10 trillion or however much they're trying to pump into the system. So the so the government's doing it for them. That's what all this spending – there's a lot of reasons for the spending. But that that is a reason for this – For the, this, we have a $4 trillion deficit this fiscal year, which ends in September. We'll probably have another one next year. Oh, I almost God. wonder if that's why they timed it the way they did so that they could bridge two years. Yeah. Yeah, it's possible. It's certainly possible. Well, now I feel like a fool for saving like 30% of my income in the market every year. 
I just need to start burying it in the backyard. No, it's it's good. No, it'll be good. Maybe switch it to uh, physical gold. That's the gold that I want, and there's a real shortage of that, and that I do yeah, not well, think is bullshit. And I was I telling Mikey today that, uh, like, silver, I don't know what gold is, but physical silver is trading $10 higher than on paper. So the spot rate for silver, really? the spot rate for silver yesterday was twenty five dollars. The wow. the physical rate for silver was thirty five dollars per ounce. Really? That's and insane. And what about gold? Is there? I, yeah, I'm is sure there, there's a premium. Is, my brother, I know people who like to get coins. Yeah, well, I've, I've been saying for, for years now, like I need to buy more silver. I need to buy silver, and I've been putting it off, and I'm just watching it tick up, and then all of a sudden, the physical paper split, like just. Yesterday, like Bitcoin, silver, I'm sure gold, everything just like fucking like it was a step change. I know. It wasn't even a curve. It was just a I step know. change. Um, and I, I, I told my the dimes have so much value because they're they're so parsable. Like you could literally right. use them as money, whereas right. gold is a little harder. But the best one of the two or three best debate answers ever given in a presidential debate, all of which were delivered by Ron Paul. <laughs> but when they asked him what he was going to do about the price of gas, and he said, the, the day I take office, the price of gas will be a dime. <laughs> and they're just like, what? That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, I like it. Goodness. It was beautiful. And I'll never, never think of a dime in a different. I'll always think of a dime that way forever after. <laughs> Mikey, what else do you have? I have a lot, but I know Miss Monica's time is pretty valuable. So okay. no, you can. I mean, I'm happy time, to. Right? I talk well, fast. I have. I do have. A, I have a set time frame, and we're still within it. So you're welcome okay. to do that. But if, if we're still you in want. it, I I have a couple of things, like really quickly, if we can. Yeah, I said I would. Uh, I I will be. My hall pass expires at the top of the hour. Okay. Perfect. All right. So, uh, he mentioned. Uh, watching of somebody stand up with a blanket full of powder that looks like it may have been like debris. Um, can you speak to that at all? Because I have some other shit that I, I remember seeing. <laughs> you should tell me because I never saw any. I never, I could not. I'm telling you, it blew my mind to think that that the, that the governments would, was that, pathocratic that it was really a pathocracy and i actually kind of came to terms with it only the past couple of years where i realized that because i was just like okay it's a black mass it's a satanic ritual like mm -hmm. what the hell was 9-11 like in these people's minds it's all and possible i think they some of them might justify it as this we draft like say three thousand people died in 9-11 mm -hmm. we draft people who don't want to go right and we get them killed. It's the best sacrifice and, there is to the state. Yeah, we drafted those people. That's we right. just didn't tell them that. That's so right. I was still reeling from that. Like it never occurred to me to take it another level and think that it wasn't what you see is what you get. I, I, I love that they switched to. I love that they switched to not actually killing people. Like that's awesome. Like I don't, I don't want to criticize them for hoaxes and do what you need to do. This situation now, I mean, I think we have to. We realize the American experiment is over, and we need to just wake up to that. But you know, ugh, that just drives me crazy. But yeah, so you tell me, you tell me what you got well, on so whether it's I real or not. I don't remember seeing that one specifically, but what I do remember seeing is I believe this was whatever his name was. Bowman was the last name. The guy who lost both his legs in the wheelchair, who may or may not have already been a double amputee years prior, but that's beside the point. 
Um, I remember seeing still shots from the sidewalk outside the restaurant where he was, where people appeared to be pouring blood on the street um, near the bombing scene. Um, Lots of calm faces in the background, but like holding body parts just for the photo. Uh, But the most striking thing I remember was I watched this. I mean, it was like a 30 second video that I watched for must have been hours, like so, so many times. And it looks like a ch- like like a child sized dummy, like maybe four or five years old, like that size, like you know three and a half four feet tall, you know, and the arms and legs are frozen in place as if you were holding it, right? And like like your child would be gripping you with arms and legs if you're if you're holding the child. Yeah. And this woman is is holding this child, and I guess she gets tired or she has to do some other task at the bombing scene and she passes the child to somebody else to hold all the while the camera is running and you have kids. I mean, how, how long can your kids keep their arms and legs up in, in that being held <laughs> position? Because she holds My this fucking thing. Would, would she holds it. It must, it must be 10 seconds and there is zero movement of the arms or the legs until somebody else grabs the thing and just like sucks it to their body and like wraps it around them. Like, okay, I'm holding the kid now and they walk off and do something else. And like, those were some of the things that really early kind of turned. But once I saw them, I was like, okay, I don't want to say that something fucked up happened here. Cause like, I, I don't want to be that guy, but like none of this shit makes sense. <laughs> like, none of it makes sense. Now that you're describing it to me, I do remember looking at some of those pictures Mm -hmm. and like, I think the guy in the wheelchair, maybe there was a cowboy with him. There was. I remember thinking, I've seen a lot of horror movies and I'm pretty sure blood would be shooting out of those arteries. I don't know. That's right. (laughs) You know, it was, there was no medical care intervening, like Mm -hmm. rushing this guy and he was sitting up in a wheelchair. It was very, I I think, I think because I looked at it, I rejected it all. All his blood came out at once, apparently, on the sidewalk. And then there was no more dripping blood after that. And then he was fine. He was he was the color yeah. of a sheet of paper, but he was fine after that. <laughs> so that's, that's I all I remember I seeing a lot of that stuff. The scenes on the sidewalk and it not making sense. It mm-hmm. just didn't make sense. But I looked up, like, what is the real color of blood? You yeah, know, I remember looking yeah. that up. Like, how long did it take for? Well, how long does it take to for blood to change color? Right. I just I remember trying to figure it out, and I just couldn't. Now I feel like I would I could easily look back and I just feel like, oh, please. But when you don't want to see it, you don't see it. Sure, sure. When your well, mind. Remember- it's they do psychological studies like that where. Like, for example, there is a point at which if if my audio and my video do not sync for in real in reality, mm-hmm. you will make your brain will make it sync up to like two or three seconds or sure. one second or whatever it is, some defined amount of time. And the second it's past your brain's capacity to sync it, it's completely off. Right. It's completely off. Like it's like, what the you turn the channel. And I feel like there before when you are completely conditioned white, like totally unaware, unalert, when you look at that stuff, your mind has the capacity to just sync it all up in a way that you cannot break through until you've seen something that breaks that. 
Sure, sure. I have to go back. I'd have to go back. Even Sandy, Sandy, that girl from Connecticut. Mm-hmm. She, I watched <laughs> nice girl, her nice videos. Girl. <laughs> <laughs> She's a nice girl. Um, it's not for me. I, I'm I'm wearing this mask for you. So <laughs> the girl. So I just that one. Even I looked at that and I couldn't really figure it out. Except for on that day, I saw stuff that wasn't. I saw people running around to. There are still things. The cameras which... would instead of looking at them would look away and some dad is laughing and then crying. And I just remember, and I was still at the radio station and one of my producers was like, no. Yeah. And she said, I got a call today that if you say any, if you defend gun rights today, people will be mad at you. But I did. That was yeah. some, uh, we'll have to, because it was not time. somebody who had, who could just fire me. I was just like, yeah, yeah I don't care. We'll have to do that another time since we've fully expended I'm your, never your doing hall pass. that. I don't know enough about that. Well, we and can, I don't we can do it under a, a pseudonym off. if you want to. <laughs> like, Danny. No, no. Exactly. The yeah. It's perfect. All right. Well, Monica, I, I don't want to keep you too long. I'm sorry. I will I will send you some other links if you want to get like super weird on this on the side. And maybe you can do some additional right, research. Mikey, but... did you have one or two other things to ask? No. I got quite a few, but don't worry. I'll get okay. you on the we'll next, next time because yeah. I got too many things to ask you, Miss Monica. It's been an absolute blast. You're, you're, you're on a whole another level than me, and I aspire <laughs> to get to that level one day. Oh my gosh, I'm still, I'm waiting to like crest to where deplatform. You know, like we're just gonna, if we're not, we'll be living in the tunnels together. Is what I think is That's before right. I, before this thing is over. I feel like this is the absolute peak that they haven't realized yet. Twitter's gonna go, so. It's well, been when, fun while it lasted. When you move, don't don't move to Austin. Just move a little further east, and you know, you know where to yeah, find us. Yeah, I, I want I want to <laughs> move way out in the middle of nowhere. I don't know if I can get everybody to do that with me, but I'm worried about the rainfall. There's not enough rain, right? Oh, there's plenty of rain. It rained today. Did it just grow stuff? Or does it get oh, complicated? Absolutely. If you're if you're in central southeast Texas, it, you're gonna yeah. get more Plenty rain than you can than you want, probably. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, right, right. I'm from New York, but I do have my limits. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I definitely want to go to Austin for Childerberg next year. Yes. You know, well, I was there for like a thing. day and a half this year. I, I made all of the first one, but I was very drunk and I forgot all of it. So it's almost like I wasn't there. But I made this one for a little bit. And we missed everybody who was supposed to come, but you know, COVID happens, whatever. So I think COVID is a conspiracy to shut down Childerberg personally, but. Yeah, it might be, but they didn't, they resisted. That's right. We had it. (laughs) Damn it. Yeah. (laughs) And next year, I don't know if it'll be hard or easy to go, but if I can go, I mean, I need a whole pass and I need not to be intercepted at the airport by the gendarme, but (laughs) I will go if I can go. Well, we look forward to seeing you there. So, uh, well, thank Monica. Thank you for coming back to the show. We loved having you. Where can folks find you regularly and find out more about thank what you, you do? Thank you for asking. Thank you. Uh, I have a deep dive show called The Propaganda Report, which is so much work that it doesn't come out that often with my co-host Binkley. The last one was great. It was about the protesters, basically, episode 187. There was one, episode 184, about the tripwire that was going to be 
election crisis 2020. So you might want to listen to that just to see what's coming. But what our kind of main thing that we do now is we do a daily show called the Drive Time News Blast, which is 30 minutes of news of the day from a perspective of truth, liberty, and justice, which you can find on that Propaganda Report feed on any of your podcasting platforms. And I love it when people subscribe like on all different platforms because, you know, boost the numbers get a little more search engine action going and this and that. But it's a great show. It's well worth the, the listen, I think. Just try it once. People get hooked after one try. Agreed. I was. I was. It's like every good deal, oh, right? They I, hit you on the comeback, and you yes. got me on the first one, and then I had to, I had to come back. So. Thank you. And I tweet like crazy at all hours. So at Monica Perez Show. As soon as everybody's can, asleep, I just stay up confirm. all night also tweeting. Correct. It's like... <laughs> It's it's embarrassing at some level, but <laughs> I'm enjoying it. That's good. All right. Well, Monica, thanks again so much for coming on. I know you're up against a hard stop here. So we thank you. Uh, folks, y'all know what to do. Like, share, subscribe. Go follow Monica. Follow Mikey Two Names. Follow Maddie K, at, or Maddie K from PA. Um, we'll see you all next week. Peace. Cross the 57 Chevy with the hillbilly band. Filled with one night stands. Take a tell him fire with a gonzo steel. In a dark house space just to seal the deal. Yeah, top 40 country, better watch your back. Cause this hot rod's faster than your Cadillac.